I'm Brittany Hardin-Tangway, a manager with KPMG, and I am fascinated by the practice of transfer pricing and its impact on the global market. Join me each episode as I explore the transfer pricing world with specialists who will explain the ins and outs of this niche practice where tax meets economics. It's time to go around the world, country by country, and there's a lot to be said about this topic. In this episode, we'll talk about what it is, where it came from, and walk through some real-world examples that illustrate implementation and some unintended consequences. Taking this trip with me today are Sean Foley, Principal with the Washington National Tax Group and KPMG's Global Head of Dispute Resolution. Hey, thank you, Brittany. Looking forward to this discussion. And John Darrow-Hanessian, whom we call JD, a Managing Director with International Tax in the Washington National Tax Group. Hey, Brittany. Thanks for having me on. I'm thrilled to have you both here. So country by country, this is really getting into the heart of transfer pricing and international tax. Let's start by having a better understanding of what country by country or C by C is. Sean, will you give us some background on how we got here? Yeah country by country. It started in 2015 when the OECD came up with a series of what they call action steps. And action 13 was a very particular effort among the governments of the world. So actually part of this is kind of a world government step forward. And the governments of the world got together and said, we would like to have more information about large multinational corporations. We'd like to know a lot more about where they're paying taxes and where their people are and where their assets are and where their revenues are. And the concept being that if they have that kind of information, then they could figure out whether there was anything odd going on, who to audit and who maybe not to audit. And that was the start of the C by C reporting period, 2015 with 2016 being the first time these were filed. That really keys in on a lot of topical themes. We've talked a lot on this podcast and just in general in transfer pricing about this move towards transparency and global coordination, not just within a multinational enterprise, but really amongst government. So this is really an extension of that spirit of where we're heading, right? I think that's important because it was widely adopted. I think there are over 100 countries today that have C by C rules. If you are a multinational and the threshold is 750 million euro for most companies around the world, if you're over that threshold, then you will be filing the C by C report with the government where you have your headquarters. And then that government is going to send this information out to all the countries that you have operations in. And those countries are going to be looking at it and then deciding what to audit and then who not to audit. So it's a very important initiative for companies to understand the new relationship that they have in this transparent world with the governments around the world. To put a few more numbers around this, as Sean said, over 100 countries around the world have adopted C by C reporting rules. When the OECD went about the BEPS project or the Base Erosion and Profit Shifting Program to develop these transparency rules, they got together a group of 140 plus countries that decided they were going to help write these rules. The OECD is not that big an organization when you look at its membership. There's only maybe 35 countries that are actual members of the OECD. But again, they opened it up to the world. And this BEPS inclusive framework includes, again, about 140, 141 members. And in exchange for a seat at the table, These 140 plus members all agreed to adopt some minimum standards. And this country by country report is one of those minimum standards. We're in 100 countries now. In just a few years, C by C reporting is going to be in upwards of 140 countries. In one of the latest reports that the OECD put out, they indicated that there are very few companies now 
that exceed the global threshold that Sean mentioned of 750 million euros that do not have to submit a country by country report. So this really does capture all of these companies. And to hit a point that Sean made, you file it in your home country. One of the questions we always get from our clients is, how am I going to know when, for example, the IRS exchanges my country by country report with other countries? You're not going to know, but we can tell you it's automatic. They're not going to come to you and ask you if they can exchange it. They're not going to wait for other governments to come and ask them for a copy of the report. Your home country, again, let's just use the IRS as an example, actually blasts it out electronically to all of their exchange partners around the globe. The U.S. has a pretty extensive exchange network. Other countries have even bigger exchange networks. And if you look at all of the countries who have adopted country-by-country reporting, I mean, you look at the global exchange networks, there's upwards of 3,000 exchange relationships now. So these country-by-country reports, they're out there, and they're out there in a lot of countries. And it's really starting to take shape how governments go about auditing taxpayers in their jurisdictions. The fact that this happened relatively recently and that it's been so widely adopted, we know how hard it is to get anybody to coordinate and agree to something. The fact that this was able to be done in what seems like a relatively quick amount of time on such a global scale, why do you think this was so widely adopted and it's gotten so much momentum so quickly? I think there are two parts of that. One is the governments around the world were feeling that they were perhaps a little behind the eight ball with respect to information on what multinationals were doing with their tax footprint. And so there was a real thirst for that. Another part of this is I think there was a fairly straightforward and effective organized effort about how this was going to be produced and shared. Another interesting part of this, Brittany, is that this really laid the foundation for what we're seeing in the newspaper today, which is what is now called BEPS 2.0, this base erosion and profit shifting initiative, which was called BEPS back in 2015. There's a second round of this happening, and many of your listeners may have heard that there is now to be a world minimum tax rate of 15%. And that is also coming straight out of this inclusive framework of these 140 countries. And that experience they had in reaching agreement and introducing their domestic legislation and coming together with this C by C report is in many ways what led to this most recent agreement, which is perhaps even more far reaching. So really an important development in 2015, carrying through into 21 and 22. Yeah, to agree on a world minimum tax rate of 15 percent, you know, there's certain jurisdictions that attract companies to their shores by offering something a little bit lower. So, yeah, a lot of negotiations that need to happen to keep this momentum and to continue this coordination if everyone's going to continue to stay in sync. I totally agree with Sean's points there. And I think one of the things that's fostering the BEPS 2.0 project and why and how countries are able to come together and do this on relatively short notice, country by country reporting came about in short time, and it has affected how companies have structured their businesses. Even before the first country by country reports were filed, we saw companies restructure their operations so that when they did go to file their first country by country report, it would show a better picture. And those tax authorities who are seeing these reports, they're now able to use them in tax audits. And I think they realize that some level of cooperation may foster this global minimum tax and may further affect how companies operate in the future. 
That is fascinating. We talk about tax tail does not wag the dog. Businesses are going to operate as they need to, but for to see this kind of an influence from what is truly just a compliance exercise, right? It is a compliance exercise and companies certainly are going to do what they need to do. But at the same time, transparency is the wave of the future. And I think it really is affecting how companies operate and how they structure their operations. So let's talk a little bit about the actual C by C report, the form. It's made up of different parts. Can you give us some illustrations to help us understand what tax authorities are ultimately collecting and sharing around the world? Yeah, there's a table one and a table two. There's also something called table three, which is footnotes to table one and table two, but not so important. Table one is 10 columns on a piece of paper, like an Excel spreadsheet. And across the rows are going to be countries. So you're going to have United States, Canada, China, South Africa, Indonesia. And in each of those rows are going to be these 10 columns, which are going to be picking up basic data about the tax footprint of the company, things like the revenue that is recorded in that country, the amount of tax that's being paid in that country, the assets that are in that country, the headcount in that country. And an example of how a government might go about looking at this, we had an experience of an audit that was triggered by a C-by-C report in Austria. And this is a transfer pricing webcast, so your listeners might have heard about profit splits. Profit split is a type of transfer pricing where the amount of profit that's going to be recorded by the group split up into buckets that are a piece in Austria, a piece in Sweden, Switzerland, or France. Governments are, are often looking to promote, and companies are often asking not to be treated in that way. In this particular case, the company had important operations in Switzerland and Austria, had some manufacturing in Austria, had some R&D, had some management in Austria, but the headquarters at the bulk of the profits were being earned in Switzerland, like the things we call the transactional net margin method and cost plus, things like that were being used. And what the Austrian government did is they looked at the C by C report and they said, well, wait a second, we've got this amount of global profit, we've got this amount of global revenue, and we've got a big share of the headcount in Austria compared to the global group and particularly compared to Switzerland. And we think that we've got 30% of the headcount, we ought to get 30% of the profits. And interestingly enough, the OECD actually gave directions to the governments that they should not use the CBIC report in this way. The CBIC report was supposed to be used only to see who you should audit not to actually use it to settle an audit. But here was a government using this for that purpose. There was a heavy back and forth, and ultimately the audit was settled on a basis where there was a relatively minor adjustment to the Austrian profitability by staying with the transfer pricing that they had, not throwing it all away and going to profit split. But they definitely were using that as part of the hammer to try to get a better settlement. And in the absence of C by C, they would not have been doing that. So that's an example of what is on table one and how it's used by governments. Yeah, and challenging as well, and really very insightful, and makes you think twice about making sure you get your data right. Absolutely. So why don't we talk about table two, whereas table one is the data, the numbers that Sean just mentioned, I mean, it's organized, as the name of the report implies, on a country-by-country basis. Table two is really a description of the multinationals' activities. It's also broken out by country. But it actually goes down to the entity level. So in the United States, you're going to list all of the entities you have operating in the United States, whether they're corporation, partnerships, even branches or permanent establishments would be listed. And then for each one of those entities, you are going to check at least one box indicating its activities. So as Sean was mentioning, there's the rows of the countries and then you have columns for the data on table one. On table two, you have rows for the countries and then go down to the entity level. 
And the columns are a list of 13 predefined activities. Do you hold IP? Do you engage in manufacturing? Do you perform services? Are you involved in regulated finance? So for each entity in your group, you're going to have to go and check at least one of these boxes. You're giving the tax authorities a very defined picture of your group. You're really telling them your story. And when you combine table one and table two, you've painted them a pretty nice picture of what your group looks like. Folks are really focused on table one, and rightly so. You're reporting your profits, your revenues, where you have folks, et cetera. I think people have started to realize that table two is just as important. I think there was less emphasis in the early days of C by C on table two. I think people were really focused on the hard data. But as we've gone along, we've seen that table two is just as important. And you have to be very calculated as to the boxes you check in any particular country for any particular entity. One of the examples that comes to mind here is an audit of a routine distributor in Taiwan. And if you looked at their country by country report, if you started with table two, you would look to see, okay, they perform distribution activities. And then the tax authorities look to see what other entities in this company's footprint perform those services. And they noticed that there was a Korean entity that appeared to be doing the same thing. So then they turn to table one and they start looking at the data and running some basic ratios. So they're looking at profits, they're looking at revenues, they're looking at headcount, running things like profit per employee or a profit margin. And they noticed that the Korean entity was doing quite a bit better than the entity in Taiwan. And the tax authorities in Taiwan were not happy about this. They went about proposing an adjustment and it was really an uphill battle for this company to go tell the tax authorities that they didn't have the complete picture. There were differences between the Taiwanese company and the Korean company. The Korean company had more activities. They held IP. They were not just a routine distributor. But they really had to go and prove this to the tax authorities in Taiwan and almost argue against themselves because the story they told on their CYC told the different picture from what they're now arguing to the Taiwanese tax authorities. So again, folks need to really be paying attention to the story they're telling on each of these tables individually, but then on the tables combined. And how does that story mesh with other things that are out there? Does the story you're telling between table one and table two, for example, reconcile to what your 10K may say or what the about us on your company webpage says? Thank you so much, Sean, JD, and um, look forward to having you guys on again soon. Till next time. Bye. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. With so much to discuss on this fascinating topic, Sean and JD will be back on our next episode where we will dive deeper into the future of C by C, some of the implications, and more. See you next time. <laughs>